0: Manwa? well you came to the right place welcome to the fifth episode of so do you want to read Manwa, a podcast centered on korean manhwa and their novel or drama counterparts in this episode we'll be talking about not so wicked stepmom that's s-e-w-so my name is amber and i'll be your host along with my friend Marion. what's up Marion?
1: i'm good how you doing
0: <laughs> all right <laughs> ready to get into this uh, this awesome story awesome nice well, before we get into this story, um, let's catch up on what we've been reading lately. So what's up with you?
1: Uh, Sure. Actually, just last night, I started a brand new series that just dropped on tapas. Why are you obsessed with your fake wife? <laughs> and like, just, you know, just the title is like, OK, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> so the description says Nadia Valajit thought she had nothing more to lose until her family and fiancé betrayed her. After she finds herself thrust back in time prior to the events that ultimately led to her death, Nadia kicks off her plans for payback by marrying Glenn Winterpell, the icy Marquess to the north, and the Valaget family's favorite punching bag. Armed with knowledge of the future, Nadia sets the table to serve up her ice-cold revenge, but she might end up melting the Marquess's heart instead. (laughs) And yeah, it's basically a regressor story about uh an illegitimate daughter who ends up being used for political purposes um it, it's interesting because there's like a there's a transmigrator from korea there who he's his name is jiho and he serves as like a hero basically uh he ends up like slaying a dragon and all that stuff and uh basically nadia's family is the one of the dukes um and he ends up you know, marrying her off to, to the hero for for whatever reason, like to secure political power and stuff like that. And so she ends up getting assassinated once like, she serves her purpose. And yeah, I mean, she's, she's armed with the, the knowledge of like all the stuff that Jiho taught her because um, they kind of bonded a bit uh, as they're both kind of outsiders. Him being from like another country and her being uh, illegitimate nobility. So people always look down on her, even the servants, and yeah. Um, it's interesting because uh, while I was reading it, it, the art reminded me of season two of oh, this one cooking series that's like, I don't remember the title, but it's basically this girl who has blue hair, and she got possessed by someone who, who like, read a story or something. But um, basically, uh, season two, the art changes, and it, I think it's the same one. Or the same person drawing the series I'm talking about now. The why are you obsessed with your fake wife? But uh, yeah, it, it's been a it's been a really fun read. I think uh, <laughs> the fact that she ends up marrying this guy who the the Marquess Winterpel, who he absolutely hates the Duke because they're constantly just like at each other's throats. Uh, the North and the South of, of the kingdom that they're in, they're always at odds because the I believe the North was conquered like a hundred years ago or something, but before that they were independent. So they just don't see eye to eye. And the the Duke is basically controlling the Emperor as like a puppet. So yeah, it's like this this high stakes political game between these two families. And uh because Nadia was betrayed by by the people she thought she cared or the people she thought cared about her, uh, she ends up basically allying with their enemy. And, yeah, as uh, she does more to, like, help that territory flourish and get stronger and um, pay off debts and all that stuff, uh, Marques Winterpell is is slowly, like, kind of falling for her. And it's very gradual. It's not, like, obvious because he's always... He's still skeptical whenever he sees her because he deducted correctly that the reason that the Duke even agreed to this marriage was because uh, he was trying to plant a spy, obviously. But yeah, I mean, that's how Nadia pitched it to to her father. But in reality, what she wants to do is take down that whole family. So it, it's pretty fun. It's like them kind of dancing around each other, like with their intentions, but they're slowly actually seeing that they have chemistry. So it's fun. I, I think uh, it dropped with 30 chapters and I'm up to episode 21. So, yeah, I think it dropped yesterday or the day before.
0: And there's already thirty chapters.
1: Yeah, Tauba's usually like dumps like either twenty or thirty chapters at uh for the first release, I guess, like the week that it debuts.
0: That's pretty convenient. I I think I'm starting to get that you're very much into political romances.
1: Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's just it's interesting. I'm I'm always. Uh, I guess embroiled in politics because working at a hospital, you just you just notice shit. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just interesting. I also grew up watching a lot of novellas with my mom because she, she she's Dominican and she watches like Spanish soap operas. So yeah, it was always like in the back of my head.
0: They're always fun reads though. Mm-hmm. Um, were Were there any other series that you wanted to reach out about?
1: Um. Let me see. I think I had one more. Uh, There's one I thought that was interesting called, um, this is an action series, and it's called Surviving the Game as a Barbarian on Webtoon, Capital W. And it's basically about a guy who's playing, like, one of the most notoriously hard, uh, like, dungeon fantasy games to ever come out in, I think, in, like, a video game form. And it's just so obtuse. It's one of those games where it's like, like an NES game where if you don't have a guide, you don't know what the hell you're doing. There's no instructions. Uh, there's no no guides. Nothing to really understand the logic behind what's going on, unless you're just like, you're a developer. <laughs> and this guy, there's this one guy who was just obsessed with this game, and he he plays it inside out. He tries like to min max to do the very best he could to like actually beat it and at one point he ends up waking up one day and realizing that he is a member of the barbarian tribe which is one of the the characters that you can select when you play it's like a you know it's like an RPG so there's different classes and barbarian is the one that most people think is like pretty stupid cuz like you you know it's all brawn no brain you don't get like that much magic and stuff like that but because this guy knows how the game works, he's like, oh, okay, this is actually uh, setting me up for the most optimal run. And it, it's a, it's pretty, it's like a brutal game where it's so easy to die because it's so hard and stuff. So it's basically him trying to, he's treating the game like it's real, obviously, because uh, he has no indication of whether or not he's actually in a game because he doesn't see like, I don't think he sees like any menus or anything. It just he 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 understands like the mechanics of, of like how everything works, but he's basically treating it like real life, which which he should cuz you, yeah.
0: you,
1: you you don't know if, if you're going to die or not. And uh and yeah, I mean, it's it's like 30 something chapters right now. Uh oh, it's it's 32 with the fast pass. But I read up to episode 20 and it, seeing him like navigate dungeons and like using his knowledge as like uh, like someone who, who knows the game. Like he treats NPCs differently from people who are like adventurers and, and yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's cool. I think uh, the action is, is really fun too because he goes around, instead of being like a typical barbarian where they just wield like giant axes and swords and stuff, he chose his weapon to be the shield because he wants to make the most out of like his really strong body to like just be a tank. And, like, dedicate himself to that role so that he can team up with, uh, like, mages or other, like, DPS uh, dealers. So that, you know, he he figures out that, like, his way of surviving is to, like, stick to his role. And that's the role that he picked for himself. So, yeah. Pretty cool protagonist.
0: Okay, I have a couple follow-up questions. Sure. So, first, when you say he knows the game, does he know the game like (sighs) Doja knows his novel? That's the real question.
1: Yes. Yes. He is a fanatic. (laughs) He (laughs) is the only person in the world who is obsessed enough with this shitty game that everyone else thinks is like really bad to to really like dissect it. And I feel like if anyone's going to survive in in this fictional badly, quote unquote, badly made world, it's going to be him.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, And then my other question was, what are the other classes other than barbarian in this game world?
1: um i don't remember i think one of them is like elf wait let me see does it does it get mentioned in the beginning i feel like it does
0: i know i'm a sucker for like archer elves
1: oh yeah i love archers
0: goblin slayer has my number like that so
1: (laughs) (laughs) one sec i'm just gonna scroll through the episode beginning oh the name of the game by the way is called dungeon and stone it's a single-player RPG created by an indie developer with retro two D pixel art graphics, which is a rarity these days. <laughs> it only supports English, so he had to teach himself English to be able to play this because he lives in Korea. But uh, okay, with so
0: dedication.
1: Yeah, the characters you can select: human, and he's he looks like a like a paladin wearing like armor and a sword and like a like a banner almost on on, his, uh, on the front of his body. A dwarf is holding a hammer. Uh Elf is holding a, a bow, Barbarian's holding an axe, Beast Woman, and it looks like a rogue uh holding like a knife. And then there's a a shadowed out uh character holding uh it what looks like a sword and like a like a tuft of hair, like a like a long side anime bang, and then a ponytail. So that looks maybe like a samurai or something. And but yeah, he always plays he always plays barbarian, I think. And Yeah, it, it's cool because you see, like, in the in the opening chapters, like what the game actually looks like, and it's it looks like an NES game where there's like text, uh, but then there's like a grid type screen, uh, pixel graphics. Yeah, it, it was cool.
0: <laughs> he was. Are the pixel graph? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, he was. I think he was like really frustrated, like because he didn't really understand what was going on, but uh, he, as he was like. Frustrated and stuff. He he looked up and he saw the time and it was like what ten p.m. I already spent like five hours or something. And then that's kind of how he uh, dives into the rabbit hole.
0: Are the pixel graphics like only at the beginning, or do they kind of make uh, reappearances throughout what you've seen so far?
1: Um, I think they make reappearances because there's yeah because there's different times where uh, where he enters dungeons and there's like different uh, scenarios or mechanics that uh, he remembers and when that when that happens they, they show the screen
0: all right well it sounds interesting um the recommendations i have today i'm actually going to change one of them just because you reminded me when you so there was one that you had started like yesterday i think it was at mm-hmm. the beginning the first one that you mentioned yeah, um yeah. so there's one that i actually started this morning um just by chance and i absolutely am enjoying it so far even though i've only read like seven episodes Oh, nice. <laughs> um, but it's called cleric of decay um but and the creator's name is you like Mm YU. um but the summary is not all job classes are created equal marnak was pulled into a game while trying to play as one of the worst job classes cleric of decay now he's the only cleric of the order of decay serving a goddess who's been reduced to an animated hand that repeats the word murder will the order's last cleric become powerful enough before the prophecy of the end comes true um, that is, is on webtoon capital w and it's funny because like there's uh, like it says there's a hand of this goddess that's attached to him all the time like shigaraki style mm-hmm. um and the hand will just be like saying murder in different forms throughout the thing like <laughs> It'll like it'll have an exclamation point. It'll have some like little angry symbols that pop up. It'll have like murder question mark, <laughs> or just like specific letters and how it reacts to things. And then like once he actually uses his decay powers, he's insanely like overpowered at everything, and um, he can't die because of this like decay ability. So even though they like behead him very like right off the gate, he just picks his head up and continues on. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very strange but it's also hilarious i like
1: um, that. that that thing yeah. that that like uh you can't die thing reminds me of uh this old Tumblr post where it's like um it's like a chat and this guy is saying you don't scare me and then it's like a mushroom responding like uh, i'm above death i am what eats uh <laughs> uh decay or or something or rot it it was like very ominous and i'm like yeah that's what fungus is <laughs>
0: I mean, that's kind of the attitude he has in this. Um, There's at one point where they're like, oh, yeah, we killed him. And he's like, you sure about that, buddy? Like, I'm not really happy. You just put an arrow in my skull, but you might want to check that somebody's actually dead before you celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) But the other one that I wanted to mention um, was a short series I enjoyed on Manta. It's called Recipe for Love. Um, It's a contemporary cooking romance. It only has 63 episodes. Uh, the original story is by Hosep, adapted by Amato, and illustrated by Lim. Uh, so the summary for that one is, we're cooking up a scandal. Washed-up singer Rosa is at the end of her rope. She's jobless. Her agency is just about given up on her, and her boyfriend is a deadbeat. But what happens when she suddenly is invited onto the reality show, a celeb kitchen battle? How And how will she react to meeting her one true love? It's like It's got plenty of, like, com- competitive reality show drama but it's also like a really sweet story between a chef and this like singer that might have her second chance at being a celebrity
1: oh okay how long is yeah. it
0: 63 episodes it's an older series it's finished i think it finished last year um on monto
1: oh okay hold on yeah i might do that up because that sounds like a like a good day read.
0: yeah what was it called again uh recipe for love okay got it nice yeah, it's cute <laughs> um uh well before we get into our actual content for today as well i wanted to follow up with you about anime nyc because you were there last weekend yes, I and was. i'm sure you've got plenty to say because it sounded like a, a ton of fun like everything that you're posting about it
1: yeah honestly i was surprised um it, most of it, you know, was ORV and sleepy sea related, but uh, just in general, like I had a really fun time, um, even though Ash Press was basically like the only presence there in terms of webtoons. I'm friends with all of them um, and all the young people. And like, it, it's always fun just like talking to uh, people that are working in the industry that you know, really care about the stuff they're working on. And it's, yeah, like it's just, it's infectious. Um I really had such a fun time. I got to interview uh, Sleepy C. I missed out on uh, applying for the, the interview spot because I had some appointments going on, but Mark was able to help me get in and basically just sit in to see the what was conducted. Like I didn't get to submit my questions, but uh, oddly enough, there was like a mix up with the, the contractors that the con hired to communicate between different parties. And the people who were invited to the interview showed up late by like 30 minutes. Um, actually Deborah or Deb Aoki, she, she showed up like maybe like five minutes after we started. But that's only because me and Mark texted her to show up because uh, it looked like everyone else, they, they told them to come at 3.30, but it actually started at three. But all of the approved questions were printed out. Uh, we had like a, like printouts for, for everyone to like follow along. And so yeah, we had printouts with all of the approved questions that were were screened, you know, before choosing the interviewers. And I just <laughs> I was there, I introduced myself, and I uh, funny enough, I had I had a card on me, so I I handed one to to Sleepy C and to her editor, and and Juyong ended up explaining the the joke, the pun to them, and once they got it, they all started laughing really hard. <laughs> Oh man. Cuz I read out my personal card so I gave them the 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 Soju podcast one. <laughs> and uh and yeah, so I I I sat, I I read out the the interview questions like in order and then cuz I figured like if these people are going to show up, I should just I should just get this going, record the audio and just hand it to them when they show up and you know, just look out for each other. Stuff like that happens. Someone helped me out with uh when I had audio issues when I interviewed Rachel Smythe of uh, Lower Olympus, so you know, just returning the favor, you look out for each other, and yeah, I, that was uh, I think on Friday. Saturday was when we had the the Yan and Eyes panels and the Sleepy C panel. So, I tweeted about that stuff. I recorded all the footage that wow. um,
0: I Okay, you left off uh Saturday Yan and Eyes panel.
1: Okay, yeah, so. I was actually recording panel notes as usual uh, because I was freelancing for ANN, like sending my notes and stuff Uh, for eyes. I didn't have to, but I did that anyway. Cause for the podcast, you know? So yeah, we ended up uh, tweeting and uh, posting that stuff on Instagram. So thank you so much for everyone who was sharing The, the, the Twitter thread blew up. It got like, like 1k likes and like one of the the first ones to really get to that exposure I guess was the there was a confirmation that uh, Singin' Song, the the author of the web novel, and is like super involved with the production of the the webtoon of ORV so all of the stuff that gets drawn and published they basically confirm everything so people were taken like they were like taken aback, they were like oh this changes everything this means that all of those uh, the scenes where uh, junior looks so slutty it's it's canon or, or shit like that i i saw so many comments like that and i'm like it's not that serious <laughs> but it's also it, it
0: it could be i mean who knows <laughs> oh man
1: yeah but it, it was fun uh so uh, yeah i i told amber to like you should probably share this on instagram too cuz you know why not and yeah, people people have been noticing so that's fun. Hopefully they're they're listening too. <laughs> but um yeah, in, in terms of like Monwaste stuff, that was that was a lot of it. uh the ice press announcements were great, all of that stuff. All those topless titles like I literally I've been reading the, all of them since like last year or 2 years ago or like for in a lot of their cases like uh sss class revival hunter marriage of convenience villains turns the hourglass uh no my bad that was another one. villains is a marionette what else there was another one uh my secretly hot husband or yeah i think it was that one all of that stuff like i <laughs> i read them like as soon as they licensed and got dropped and because tapas the reason i i read so much on tapas is because what i was telling you that like uh they they drop like the first batch of chapters is like 20 at a time and i'm like okay yeah so i'll read and and if i like it i'll just keep it up if if not i can just drop it before whatever like it, it, i can i can gauge within 20 episodes if i'm going to be invested or not basically uh there are times where i've i've spent the whole 20 episodes and decided to drop it but whatever uh it doesn't matter it, it's still fun like i getting i'm getting like a like a good taste of what to expect so i don't mind
0: yeah i'd agree that like 20 episodes is a good gauge of if you like it or not i just like i said last episode i still have that horrible habit of once i've started it, i have to finish it yeah so i i envy your ability to drop it
1: oh <laughs> no yeah i just been yeah. i've been buying shit for so long that like <laughs> <laughs> being a completionist i just know it going to destroy me so i just Take a deep breath and stop.
0: (laughs) Well, that's uh, that was amazing that you were able to go do all of that panel work at at Anime NYC and as well as like getting to pop in for the interview, even though like you didn't initially have the opportunity. Like, that's great. And I am also very amused that they got our pun and kind of like (laughs) honored by it in a way, (laughs)
1: right?
0: So, hopefully, hopefully, maybe they'll even like reach out at some point and be like, oh. We met you, let's do something. That'd be great.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I think uh, well I have uh I have spoken to people from Tappy Tune, but you know, we're still nothing really set in stone or anything, but people people are aware of us. That's actually pretty awesome. I wasn't expecting that. I might be a Neppo baby.
0: Well, that, that tweet um, that Eyes Press retweeted with the like the panel recording, that absolutely blew up. The last time I looked, it was uh, like 147k views.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. It was fun. I mean, uh, the presence was like immense. I, I felt excited because there were so many people cosplaying like Doja and Jujang and like just other like manhwas and stuff. I'm like, oh, shit. Finally, it's like it's here. Like I'm like I said it last year that yeah, it's here. Uh webtoons and manhwa are here, but now it's like it's it's like everyone else is catching up. So <laughs> it, it took the publishers first to get here to actually bring the the content out. And then like now a year later it's like yes, fans are reading and enjoying and participating. So it's cool. It's like a little it's not a not trickle down, but like you do see, like, gradual growth. That's
0: pretty cool. Can only go up from here.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're here to stay.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, for what we're actually here about, I guess if you have nothing else you wanted to mention about Anime NYC, we can go ahead and get started with that.
1: Okay. Uh, I will tease this. There's a potential collaboration going on that we're... we're Soju Monopod is in talks with, uh, with Eyes and Yen Press. So stay tuned. Uh, I don't know. Well, Amber, if uh, <laughs> if I find out before this episode gets uploaded, I'm just gonna hand it to Tatamala to, to to like insert it here, okay? <laughs> but yeah, you guys will find out soon. It'll, it, it's exciting.
0: Exciting. <laughs> All right. Um, Well, for today, as we said at the very beginning, we're going to be talking about Not-So-Wicked Stepmom. Um, This is a Romanacy series with the original story by Iru or Iru. Uh, The comic adaptation is by Mo-Nine Rang. Um, This is a twist on the classic Snow White web series. Uh, It's still ongoing at 93 episodes currently in the third season, um, releasing on the office. For physical volume collectors, volume one is now available. Um, through Eyes Press, with volume two available by the time this recording is released. The the summary for Not-So-Wicked Stepmom is that fairy tale stepmothers are notoriously wicked, uh, but after a children's clothing designer is reborn as young Princess Blanche's stepmom, she's determined to break the mold and shower her daughter with love. Now, she decides to convince the girl's cold-hearted father to do the same. In her quest to make a happier home for Blanche, Abigail begins to uncover secrets and schemes within the palace. Would devious forces or will devious forces tear the Friedkins apart? Or can Abigail stitch them back together into a family? I am really enjoying this series, just so you know. Good. Good. <laughs> yes. I have been very much looking forward to it. Um I I really appreciate that both of the leads, both uh, Abigail and Sabrian, at one point um, both vocalized support for same-sex relationships. That's something that I don't really see very often outside of like a BL series. Yeah. So I really appreciated that. Um, I did also think it was interesting in one of the creator interviews with Iru that they said that this was kind of like – spawned out of watching the Maleficent live action movie with Angelina Jolie. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting as well.
1: Oh dude. I oh that that was the interview from when they came back from season break, right? Yeah. Okay. I skipped it because I was like, let's save this for a rainy day. And then I completely forgot.
0: <laughs> well today's that rainy day.
1: <laughs> yeah. I will definitely I'll, I'll definitely read it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, she basically just, or I don't know if it's a she, they basically said that um, Maleficent was just very interesting in the way that it it highlighted a different angle of a story and showed that Maleficent wasn't really quite as evil as people always portrayed her to be in the original Sleeping Beauty story. Mm-hmm. And uh, they really liked that aspect of it and wanted to roll with that for this one.
1: Three-dimensionality.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so this series is one that you recommended to me. So I want to hear all about your thoughts about it.
1: Okay. Well, what I like about it uh, is it all stems from Abigail because I tend to enjoy female leads who, when they have like trauma and they try to like process it or maybe even like avoid it, but uh in the case of this where it's like someone taking over someone else's body uh basically them trying to like live life a different way it it goes back to like what i like about regressors where um someone's attitude changes once like a like a life-changing event happens or like you know they get reborn or go back in time blah 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 but like basically they want to live life differently and you kind of see that in abigail's attitude and how Uh, Like, yeah, originally the the character she's inhabiting is the evil stepmother who, like, bullies the daughter and everything. But she wants, like, a genuine relationship with uh, Blanche and to be, like, an actual mother figure to her. So I think that's really sweet. And whenever characters go out of their way to, like, really pursue their goals and, like, support other people, I think that's really neat. Uh, abigail the way that she kind of handles herself she's like self-aware about the fact that like oh i look evil i have this uh this natural scowl with my eyes who, <laughs> that always are like sharpened and look intimidating so uh i'm going i'm just gonna try not to lean on that and be polite and she does see a difference in how people treat her over time and, and yeah like i think it's it's satisfying to see someone's character journey when they go through through stuff like that. And it shows also with her relationship with everyone else, like how she got Blanche and Sabrian to open up to her, the fact that they're spending time as like a family now, where before, due to reasons we're going to get into, Sabrian would like ignore his daughter Blanche. And, uh, you know, they were, they were pretty hurt by their circumstances and stuff, but Abigail finds a way to really mend their relationship. And yeah, I I love found families and like when people become families or like grow closer, bond together and stuff like that, it's just, yeah, I like seeing positive relationships. Why not? (laughs) And the series kind of really exemplifies that.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, The series definitely does not shy away from trauma and... Intense situations by any stretch of the imagination, um, but the the characters are definitely better for the way that they've dealt with them or are trying to deal with them and how they apply that to their current relationships. I think it's very important that they are very self-aware as as far as what they've gone through. Um, Abigail is still working on a lot of her I don't want to say issues per se, but like the the traumatic things that she has had to deal with and um how she needs to rebuild her self-confidence in a way too that's that's still like an ongoing thing for her character um but outside of thinking of herself like she is a huge fighter for the other characters in the series and standing up for them and their needs and i think that's a very good thing to see in a main character and um, that i've really enjoyed um throughout the entire reading of it so far
1: yeah she's like uh probably one of the greatest alice you could have (laughs) in terms of just like people you know who are going to come through for you
0: yeah absolutely well i guess um we've been talking about them a little bit but the i guess main four characters that we really we'll talk about a lot in this episode. Uh, First is Abigail Friedkin, um, formerly Lily Lee. Uh, So Lily Lee was a Korean woman who was a clothing designer for children. She dies. I don't remember if it was, what kind of accident it was. I don't know if you remember.
1: I don't. Okay. Yeah, (laughs) I don't.
0: She dies in some mysterious accident. I feel like
1: the options are either like car accident or like tragic sewing accident. (laughs) Usually that's how truck it goes Coons with these kind of
0: series. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> right. um, it's, uh, yeah, that's usually how it goes. I, I will absolutely blame Triccoon because I don't remember. <laughs> um, but so once uh, Lily dies, she goes into Abigail's body, who had also died um, due to some sort of poisoning that they still haven't really investigated. So I'm kind of curious about that. But... Um, so Abigail, or later nicknamed Bibi, um, she is the stepmother to Blanche Friedkin, a young princess, our Snow White equivalent, um, and married to Sabrian Friedkin, who is the king of this kingdom and Blanche's father. Everybody has adorable nicknames. Yeah. Um, and then of course, it wouldn't be a, uh, a Snow White story if we didn't have our magic mirror as well. Which is known as Veritas. Um, their soul is really interesting in the way that it's trapped into the mirror, and I, I hope we get to see more of that as well as the series goes on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Veritas is probably my favorite character. I'm just a sucker for like the non-human like mascot slash team member. <laughs> he's like uh, he's like the Scooby Doo or the Chopper of the the group
0: absolutely and like they there's one moment in the series where veritas changes into any different form that you could try to imagine um so whether it's like a little boy, a little girl, an adult man, adult woman, like a like a sad puppy or something at one point <laughs> like it, like anything that they could have transformed into um, just to like see what would work for sabrian to be okay with um... was hilarious
1: yeah, I think his, his form as like a like a young boy is probably the most accurate because he is only like, isn't he like two years old or something?
0: Yeah, he's very young and um, but he's also like very wise and all knowing as you would expect a magic mirror to be. Um, But I do think the the little boy look is definitely the best one. I think for the first probably like third or third maybe half of the episodes that are out so far, He's like a teenage boy and then becomes the little boy when Sabrian finds out and gets a little threatened.
1: <laughs> yeah. He looks a little bit like Killua from Hunter Hunter, to me at least.
0: Uh, there there are a few other characters in the series that kind of are reoccurring, but I wouldn't say that they're overly important for us to to dwell on too much today. Yeah. Um I do like that in a huge contrast to our previous episode with ORV, the cast of Not-So-Wicked Stepmom is very small. Yeah, thank God. (laughs) Yes, it's a lot easier to keep track of. I know every time we're reading an episode or a different series, I'm keeping track of like all of the different character names on my phone so I can try to piece everything together. And I was so relieved this list was quite, quite small. (laughs) But I do know um as far as like side characters, we will talk about a little bit of the, the Stoke family, uh, which includes Sabrian's former wife and um Karen Stoke, especially. because um, they're both kind of more important characters for different elements throughout the story.
1: I love Karen.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Karen well, we can talk about Karen. Um what what do you love about Karen the most?
1: She is the kind of like a pretty kind of snarky but also just upfront uh noble that I kind of vibe with. Um it, it's funny because like her my experience with characters like her are like usually in settings outside of like romance fantasy, they're usually just like a typical Sundari. But I don't know. Just the way that uh <laughs> the way that she was handled was good because um she kinda well, her, her relationship with the, the royal family is like complicated, you know, because uh, Sabrian, uh, Sabrian was married to, to Miriam, which is, uh, that was her sister, right? Or was it?
0: Yes, she was Karen's older sister.
1: Okay, good. So, so yeah, so correct me if, if I'm wrong, like the circumstances behind like what happened was like after, can you do me a favor and run by like. Sabrian's whole backstory because just like there's like a the way that the author is juggling like the events that happen in like the royal family surrounding Blanche and then like everyone else kind of just like dancing around it um basically the way that Karen kind of like reacts to to the situation and I guess to how how her family is like being perceived and like how she wants to be seen in society. Like I think that she had like the most realistic uh, like way of reacting to everything and her interactions with Abigail as she gradually finds out that like, Oh, you know what? Like she's actually kind of a decent person. And like, I was such a, I was like, it's such an asshole and I come to, to like regret my actions and like basically now it's just it's like heavily implied that she's like crushing on uh Abigail and she asked her straight up like oh how do you feel about women who want to marry women <laughs> and and yeah
0: they're uh, like special friends conversation the special
1: friends yeah and then they had to explain <laughs> to to Blanche cuz she was in the room they're like no not those kind of friends <laughs> oh my god but i don't know i just i think I I just vibe with with, uh, those kind of like Sundari characters because, okay, if you you put a gun to my head and uh, told me who's the best girl in Evangelion, I would say Mitato. But uh, when I was a kid, I had a crush on Asuka. And like basically like those fiery personality types are like, I think they're fun.
0: They are fun. Karen is, uh, I like her transformation and how quickly she realizes that Abigail isn't her enemy. Um, yes. And I do like when I do like her sense of fashion and how quickly that shifts to try to compensate for Abigail's um, changes in dress styles for the period as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the special relationship that the three of them build later on between Abigail Blanchon and Karen is is really sweet. And it, like beyond the special friends conversation, it's just adorable like seeing them sitting around and actually like being there for each other and being supportive.
1: Yeah. It's like genuine camaraderie that they develop.
0: Well, like you were saying um, before, I think it's hard to talk about the Stoke family and their circumstances without going into Sabrian's background. Um, And that's a huge part of the series and why like at the beginning of the series, I hated Sabrian and I'm sure most people probably did Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, until you realize why Sabrian is the way he is. Um, So, spoiler, major spoiler of major trauma in this series, and why this is very much a slow burn of a series, Um, because it takes 93 episodes to get a hug, but that's okay. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs)
1: Uh, We're getting there.
0: So, we're getting there. (laughs) One step at a time. Um, So, Sabrian, or Sable, as we now like to call him, (laughs) was previously married to Miriam Stoke, um Miriam was heavily influenced by the the nature and uh, pressure of being a queen as well as um Sabrian's mother, the former queen mother, and um just really the pressures of producing an heir for the the royal family. But when Sabrian became king, he was only fourteen years old. And he was not prepared or knowledgeable about any of that aspect of his life. He wasn't exactly eager to go do anything of that nature and was kind of pressured. Uh, Not kind of, he was pressured. Um, And so essentially he was raped by Queen Miriam and resulted in the birth of Blanche, who was a female child and at the time not an heir of the throne so queen miriam just kind of wasted away and died on her own um but sabrian carried that trauma of being raped with him and created a an intense hatred of women he didn't want to be touched by them or anything like that Marion, is there anything you want to add to that oh
1: yeah um it was really sad i, I was like reading this stuff uh weekly uh i picked up this series i think as it was, like, got picked up initially and, like, from the beginning, like, just read it weekly. But um, when we were getting to that point in the story, like you said, like, no one really cared about Sabre or not cared. I, I would say, like, everyone was just, like, waiting for, like, okay, we, you need some kind of redemption because you're clearly not, like, evil, but we know you're going to something. So we wanted, like, to know what was his deal. And then when this finally happened, like, everyone was like, oh, shit. But the the way that it was handled by the author was very tactful in terms of, like, the emotional response from, like, the readers and, like, how just the way it was, uh, like, drawn. It didn't feel, like, exploitative. Um, it was treated with, like, the level of seriousness that this kind of topic deserves. So for that reason, like, everyone was, like, grateful. And I, I was too.
0: I did also appreciate that they made it a point... At the chapter where it's revealed, they gave a very distinctive, like, trigger warning and said, like, this is going to happen, but if you're not okay with this, skip forward to the next episode and we will explain what happened. And then then in the next episode, they just basically take a couple sentences to say, this is what you missed, and you can move on and, like, be okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Tapas is pretty good about stuff like that. Like, usually there'll be content warnings about, like, stuff. Uh, involving like sexual assault or suicide and like basically topics that can make a person relapse or go through trauma so or relive their trauma i mean so that's that's another reason to
0: to read on their platform yeah absolutely um the i do appreciate especially the way that the character abigail reacts to finding this out as well um she doesn't Shame him in any way. She doesn't um continue trying to like reach out to him or touch him in any way that could trigger this at all. She takes a huge step back and also apologizes for 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 past actions, like showing up in his bedroom, trying to fake seduce him at one point. Like realizing that that, mis- that was a mistake that she had made because she didn't know about this at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that too. Um, yeah, like Abigail is so considerate and. Uh, her response is probably what I was most glad to see because it's so easy to to kind of come off as like, oh, you're pitting someone for for what they went through, and it doesn't feel like genuine like sympathy or like that you're you're understanding where they're coming from. But Abigail never belittles him or like treats him differently in like a discriminatory way for it uh which i feel is something that uh, a lot of media probably maybe they won't try to actively go against that but they won't also make that more obvious you know what i mean like it's just like the level of tact that was used was spot on
0: yeah i would agree um and then it's not just uh, a Sabrian's trauma as well like Abigail and the tactics surrounding her trauma is also really important. So um, we haven't really talked much about Blanche, our adorable little darling in this series, but um, one of the things, actually there's two different things that are Abigail slash Lily, Abigail Lily, (laughs) um, trauma specific, which would be both um, food and weight traumas, insecurities and things surrounding that. So at one point, um, Garamie, Stoke, who was formerly like a a teacher or attendant for Blanche, Um, she was trying to pick out dresses for her early on and was just picking horrible things. But she was also very strict about what would make her the most presentable as a noble, most ladylike, and um, heavily restrictive on what she could eat every day. And Abigail completely flipped both of those on her head, or on the their head, and that's. how she really kind of started to bond with Blanche with the, the firing and reveal that Jeremy was a horrible person, <laughs> and um, really just trying to deal with her own trauma and not let that same trauma happen to Blanche, I thought was really important.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's uh, great that she was able to look out for Blanche and like make sure that uh, she's not in the position where she gets to be manipulated and like put into situations. That that could end up uh like reflecting or not reflecting, uh mirroring what uh Sable went through. Like, she genuinely cares about Blanche as a daughter and it's it's really heartwarming. Cause then uh it, it comes through to everyone else and Blanche is like once she realizes that like, oh, she does want to be like my mother, like she she leans into it and she can finally act her age. Which is uh that leads into Blanche's character development where her insecurities and her uh, trauma stem from not uh having to like basically act more mature than she really is because of how she was ignored by her parents growing up and now that they have the opportunity to mend this relationship she gets to actually, you know, act like a kid and uh I remember the first moment where she was like whining or like uh Complaining that like she she couldn't spend time with Abigail and it was like it was so cute because, uh, Vivi was like, "Oh my God, she's she's grumpy. She's like expressing disinterest. Like that that's the, that's a the big first step because uh, before that she would just she would just smile and like uh accept it, but like now that she's comfortable enough to like be willing to protest and like ask for something, uh, it, it shows like a major." shift in her attitude that like it is okay to to voice how you feel and your opinions because they're going to be listened to and uh, that's just a, that's beautiful i like that a lot
0: yeah blanche's arc is is definitely interesting in terms of maturity and her impressionability and everything that she goes through developing these different relationships going from absolute fear and terror of abigail to she can't be without her most of the time Um, and having adorable sleepovers with uh, her and Veritas as well as going from having a father that never talked to her for all of her life pretty much um, to someone that she has supper with now daily instead of just talking to her five minutes every three days or something like that. Um, And then like having sleepovers with him as well. So It's it's a fun dynamic with them and Blanche's development. I think that it made a huge difference when uh, the former queen mother, Sabrian's mother, comes to visit and really tries to manipulate Blanche. Um, I think that that really is like a turning point um, because at that point she's like, no, you need to act your age. And by that, she means a lot older than she is and really kind of present yourself as a future wife of this random relative of hers to help a political marriage and um she shouldn't be sleeping in the same bed with her parents things like that um but blanche eventually like breaks free of that and i think it it goes to her maturity and then it also goes to when she like realizes how in the wrong she is at that point there's there's a bit of a fine line she walks between what is just fun and what is uh, a more serious thing that she needs to do and i think in addition to like her maturity and how she wavers at different points i think it's important that it's not forgotten how lonely blanche seems to be but really finds a friend in veritas in the more recent episodes
1: yeah totally and i think the fact that uh veritas like form as like a like a young boy ends up helping uh both uh, sable and blanche to kind of like connect and find someone else new to, to like talk and interact to and kind of like not maybe not necessarily vent but to feel comfortable enough to like talk about stuff that maybe they couldn't share with bibby or uh they don't have another friend to to really confide in
0: veritas is so good for anyone to just be able to talk to you i like how each of them have a different relationship with them um so like sabrian is pretty much like anytime Abigail's in trouble or seeing this particular person who's shifty, like you need to tell me immediately so I can interrupt this. And then Blanche is dealing with her loneliness. And then Lily is kind of, she just needed a friend in, in this palace when she was all alone and Baradus was that source of comfort. But then later, um, is also a cursed teacher extraordinaire, which is uh
1: in a funny development as well yeah uh seeing him uh try to like give romantic advice to to Sabrian and then like s- s- he just completely it goes over his head he starts telling people or Veritas starts uh telling Sable that like yeah well okay if you don't know whether or not you really are in love with Abigail you should see if uh <laughs> You feel differently about her compared to other people. So, like, do you want to hug her? Do you want to like spend time with her? And then, so, so how would you feel about other people? <laughs> so he goes around like hugging like all of the men around him, like his uh his secretary, a uh, bunch of other like noblemen in the court and shit. And people were just like,
0: what? Abigail's brother, Abigail's
1: brother, <laughs> and, and people were just like, what's going on with the king? <laughs> Why? it's ominous like and then um he also teaches abigail how to use magic because uh bb finds out that she actually has a uh, is it dark magic or yeah basically yeah I, like the stuff that gets I don't know uh, the exact
0: term but i think it's just dark magic
1: yeah i think it's it's what gets people uh accused as witches basically because it's not like an element like fire or water or wind or anything like that so he tries to like okay well this attribute that you have is very good for evil things <laughs> manipulating and like uh yeah it's generally not stuff that normal people would need and pp kind of like she's terrified at first but she kind of leans into it she's like well maybe i could use this to help the be- flash out like <laughs> or make things easier for her so she she tries to learn how to control her power and uh yeah veritas gives advice but also i don't know it it, it's cute it's just uh avigil in general i think she bounces off well with everyone and in turn seeing how uh veritas kind of like sees how how she reacts to to everyone. Uh it kind of informs his decision making when he's talking to either uh, Sabrian or or Blanche. Like he's just like, oh okay, this is how she handles them. I should probably take a page out of her book.
0: I like how the series is very good at about um I'd say maybe every twenty or so chapters after the beginning reminding us um that this is a snow white story and that abigail is supposed to be like the evil queen Mm -hmm. um whether it's her her creepy grin like anytime (laughs) she's smiling it looks like very wicked and sinister but after a while like we don't really see that because everyone around her is just so used to her face. yeah but when a new character comes around like the queen mother They're so, like, terrified of her smile. Like, are you okay, dear? (laughs) Um, Because they're not used to it. And then when the magic part gets introduced um, and Veritas starts teaching her, she realizes, like, one, that this is evil magic. And she's like, of course. Of course it'd be evil magic. Why wouldn't it be? (laughs) And um, then, like, all the the basic curses that he's trying to start her off with to kind of get her proficiency up, they're like, basic curses are all the ones from different fairy tales so like Turning a man into a frog, and it can only be turned around by a true lips kiss or whatever. just like, these are all fairy tale hexes, and those are basic. What are the horrible hexes? I don't want to do any of this, <laughs> but it's uh, it's very good at reminding us about these things. And um, I think there was something they like brought up about an affinity for apples at one point too. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> here we go. Yeah,
1: that kind of like self awareness is really funny because it, it's not lo- the like the wink-wink, nudge-nudge type of uh, referential humor that uh, it, it's like, hey, look, we went out of our way to do this. You notice, right? It's just kind of like subtly thrown in there. It, it's not really like dwelt on to like really kill the joke. Uh, it's just there and gone. So I appreciate that. If it was done any differently, I would probably have been like, this is way too corny.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that they... It's not so much subtle but like it's not like you said not dwelled on to the point that it ruins the joke. Exactly. It's, it's a very It doesn't overstay its welcome. Joke. Joke. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, and I <sighs> in, in general like it's just a it's just a quaint series to be honest. Uh I feel like this reminds me a lot of the first series that really got me into like the villainous genre was uh my next life as a villainess or all flags lead to doom uh this one is the one where it's like yeah there's like stakes i guess but also uh it kind of leans up more on the comedy and like the drama stuff is there more for like character development it's not really bogging down
0: like the tone yeah i would agree the the tone definitely seems to be lighthearted and very much focused on their the three of theirs fine a uh, family dynamic and then occasionally including Veritas at uh, moments where he's needed uh, But a lot of it is uh, like as you said lighthearted and humorous but serious when it needs to be and it needs to be for the sake of the characters and it it's done very well to develop them and work through their traumas well, is there anything else about this series that you really think we should touch on? I know there's still like plenty of things we didn't talk about. Um, I guess one thing I would say is I'm very interested to find out what Gideon McLeod is really up to. He's a very shifty character um, He gets introduced as like a music teacher, but that's still very new. And then what's going to happen with all the magic stuff, I'm also very interested to find out. Yeah. And uh I would also add that Sabrian seems a lot more forthcoming now that he's kind of realized his feelings in the last episode and to the point that Abigail's kind of like, oh no, I'm embarrassed. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious to see how much further that's going to progress now that he's more self-aware.
1: Yeah. I am I I want to see more about Gideon because every time I see like a musician and these kind of stories, I'm like, oh, they're sleazy. They're just there to like seduce women and like stray them. Yeah, mom, she agrees. <laughs> But uh yeah I think uh, my favorite part of the story was the whole the part with the, the did we find out for sure if the the poisoning was from like arsenic used in the dye because for for like the dresses and stuff because
0: yeah for the green dresses yeah
1: following that weekly uh I remember someone in the comments was bringing up like it looks like the story might head in this direction and and, and like referencing like an actual uh period in history where like that was a thing like arson poisoning from uh dyes used in dresses and i was like damn apparently i think there's like a netflix uh documentary on this kind of stuff so uh if i find it i'll i'll link it in the the description when we upload this episode but that kind of like historical context is really cool it shows like a level of research that i respect from from authors uh like one of my favorite stories is Vinland Saga and hearing about uh how he visited or Makoto Yukimura the creator. Well how he visited Iceland, Canada, uh Greenland and like uh reading stories to like uh just be like historically accurate as possible. Uh I think it's cool. Uh it's it's a, it's a effort that a lot of people don't really have to go to, but it makes the series feel more authentic, even though, you know, this is a series that has magic and stuff. The the fact that they're still grounded in some form of reality. Uh even if this is like a pseudo-European uh medieval fantasy, like it's, it's cool.
0: Yeah, I would definitely be interested to to see that Netflix documentary if you find it. Um I'm always interested when like historical applications are used in stories accurately. And um Like like you said, it lends an authenticity to the story. Even though this is a very much a fairy tale retelling, it it's still an important facet of a historical genre um that really brings the story to life more.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that's it in terms of those like characters I really want to touch on. Uh I think everyone else is like I think we touched the major points. Uh Queen Mother is like, let's get this out the way. She's a bitch uh manipulative evil absolutely she just wants a uh, political power i think it's interesting that we're gonna see bibby's family too now uh so now that her and sable are aligned uh and they're like on the same team basically and so is you know Blanche also kind of like aware of her role as a princess too i think it's gonna be fun seeing uh the family kind of team up as like a you know like do their thing as the royal family and actually put these nobles in their place
0: (laughs) yeah well and i I did especially actually that's one thing you reminded me um the way the three of them teamed up a ball the concept of blanche getting married and the way that she wouldn't they all agreed that she wouldn't be married until she fell in love and she was of, of age which is very unheard of for like a historical romance plot of that time frame and something that I really appreciated kind of very much in the same way that they both voiced um, support for same-sex relationships. This was a very like modern day concept that I appreciate that they applied to the story.
1: Oh, for the the listeners, can you, uh, cause I don't know if you brought it up exactly, but what was the moment where Sable kind of affirmed that about, uh, same-sex relationships?
0: Oh, yes. Um, I don't remember if it was when he was talking to Millard or Veritas, but it was, no, it couldn't, I don't want to say it wasn't when he was going around hugging everyone. It was much earlier. I want to say it was, it was definitely before Abigail voiced hers. Um, but I don't remember the exact scene if, unless you do.
1: I definitely don't. That's why I was like, Oh damn, that slipped my mind.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I um, I wish I could remember the exact scene it was. I should have written it down, but um, I know it was before Abigail more like vocally voiced it. It was just kind of like a short, like, there's nothing wrong with this kind of thing. um, Just like a side comment. It wasn't they didn't make a big deal out of it like they did with the special relationships thing.
1: OK, that's fine. If by any chance you remember, you can just uh record like a little like 10 second clip and then send it to me.
0: We'll do. All right. Um, well, I know I already asked, but is there anything else that we still haven't touched on about this series that you wanted to cover? For sure.
1: I think I'm good. Um, I guess I, I want to hear your thoughts on like where you think the story is heading forward towards. Like uh, what's I guess I guess the end goal or like any events that you feel like should probably happen or that you you expect to happen?
0: Sure. Um. So, I do think that. Um. I guess I'll just go through with like the main four characters. What I think is going to happen with them. Um. I'll save Abigail for last. But so for Sabrin, I think that he will kind of continue to work through his trauma and take small steps with uh, Abigail. Um. So episode ninety three, we got a hug. I think he will eventually kind of. Now that he's realized his feelings, keep working up and eventually. Um potentially have a child with her but that would be really long goal um but that that would be a a huge overcome step for him and that child wouldn't be the heir I think that Blanche is still going to be the queen of the kingdom (laughs) um and um for Blanche I think she's really going to grow into her role as a princess right now she seems very studious and I think she's very determined to kind of be like an asset to the kingdom and really kind of come into her own that way. So I'm I'm excited to see her, her academic growth in that way. <laughs> um, Abigail, I think she's got a lot to work with for her own self uh, traumas as well, as well as realizing her own feelings for Sabri and more um, defined, I guess. Cause right now she's like, oh no, he couldn't like me. There's no way. <laughs> and um, just because she has such a negative, self-image of herself and like the way that she was talking to veritas and being like oh well my friend <laughs> that kind of like typical uh thing there no i lost you okay all right so um i i hope i got everything about deal, um but i also wanted to say for veritas i think that with this new introduction of magic and the specific relationship um the, or not so much relationship but the introduction of dolly and off and the different magical artifacts that are in the, the mage tower or mage area whatever it's called um that they're going to try to find a way to get him out of the mirror and, or at least like remove his soul from it and
1: yeah that's and, definitely and what i body. <laughs> I felt was probably his like end end story i think I don't, i'm not sure if it'll go here but i think it's also possible for uh, him and blanche to maybe get romantically involved but i don't know if it'll actually happen or not but they it feels like the vibe is there from what i can see with the art <laughs> so
0: I, w- I would agree they're making cutesy glances at each other um but it would be a matter of how veritas looks in a human form outside the mirror if that's still consistent yeah,
1: I think but I'm it, excited. <laughs> I think if we end up seeing Blanche like grow up as like uh like further than her teens, like as like an actual adult, like maybe in her twenties or older, then I, I would be less icky about it. So we'll see. I I, I don't know what the scope of the story is, uh, or even if like uh because I think this is adapted from an, a web novel. If the web novel is even finished or not, um, it might be, but. Uh, I'm not sure. So I'm just I'm basically I'm going sure. into a blind.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure either. And I haven't I haven't read the web novel either, obviously, but um I would be interested to see if there's gonna be like a time skip because as like I'm sure you're aware in most Snow White stories, she's very much a young adult. Mm-hmm. And right now the blanche we have is like eight, ten, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely um need to progress time in some way if we're going to get more to that Snow White element.
1: Do you think she's going to get dwarves, like like commoners, like, like a team of them who are just like, oh, dude, that's our girl. We got to show up for her.
0: I mean, I don't think anyone's really going to be against Abigail right now with the way that she's been. Um, but I definitely think that Blanche will have like a good public support just because of how sweet and um dedicated she is to the kingdom it seems mm-hmm. um i like it how abigail keeps having this kind of like fear like is that the prince like anytime some sort of like shifty guy shows up in blanche's life <laughs> or proposed shifty guy yeah. um but she's not asleep yet so
1: <laughs> yeah. mama bear instincts
0: Yes, I, lo- I love her mom-of-bear instincts, and it's, it's definitely an adorable relationship seeing them together.
1: Oh, I just realized we didn't talk at all about Raven.
0: We did not, and actually, you're right, that is very important. Please continue.
1: So, there's a character named Duke Raven, who is Sabrine's half-brother that his father had out of wedlock, I think. It was with a, a mistress, basically, and he was he's the older brother. Uh, I believe technically he was born first, but, uh, I think he was, he was like discovered or like picked up at some point, uh, when he was still living with his mom or, or was it, did his mom pass away? I don't remember.
0: Yeah. His, uh, his mother passed away and he was living like kind of like a commoner and he never knew his father. Right, um, okay. And then he's just told once his mom dies, like, Hey, by the way, your father's a king come live at the palace now.
1: <laughs> yeah. So basically he's just thrust into this completely unfamiliar environment and he knows that uh, his younger brother is the legitimate child so he's being groomed for to be the actual successor. And he's kind of just there as like a replacement. And him having to come to terms with that uh, gave him a very complicated relationship with uh, Sable because his self-worth is basically determined completely on whether or not he'll be able to actually replace uh Sable when needed. And the way things are, it's like Sable grew up like kind of sickly, not, not really like active. Um, he didn't seem that competent, I guess, as a successor. And eventually like grew into it um, through like all the situations thrust on him and he just had to adapt or die. So that's what he did. And uh, to this day, like their relationship is like, on the surface, it looks like it's, like, stable or even uh, pleasant to, to, like, the people outside looking in. But there's always tension there. And whenever he shows up and recently uh, he notices Sable's relationship with Bibi changing, uh, he wants to get to the bottom of that. Like, it's a curious event for him because he... He knew that, like originally, they don't really get along with that, and he eventually finds Abigail like interesting and like, man. As I was reading these chapters, I'm like, this dude. I know, I know you're kind of going through shit, but like, stay away. <laughs> Keep like five feet away from Abigail at all times because you're yeah. like, you're showing up exactly when like Sable is acknowledging his feelings and like oh yeah i might actually be in love with this lady and uh want to see her happy and and all this stuff but (sighs) miscommunications and shit like that uh at least their relationship isn't so unstable that just like the slightest hint of jealousy will like make everything fall apart um like they listen to each other uh sable and bb and they'll ask each other like you feel comfortable with this or that and kind of like uh it's like what you were saying with uh with earlier how abigail didn't treat uh sable any lesser for like his trauma um and she was like considerate she was paying attention and trying to like adjust accordingly like not not uh coddle but also not ignore uh the other person's feelings and stuff so I guess in a way, it, it's it's a good thing Duke Raven showed up because it, it kind of made their relationship stronger. But, you know, getting to that point, it was an obstacle at some point.
0: Yeah, I definitely think uh, that Duke Raven has um, a, a definite interest in Abigail that is at least some extent of romantic in nature. Um, the and he has a, a magical affinity which we didn't really get to talk about um and he creates like a, a special potion for abigail that is um was like a cleaner that she used on like her dresses or her face to to make everything look fresh and new again um and then he also had this like songbird which gave me like remarried empress vibes for sort a of minute it, but it actually um had a uh it could actually like listen in on her. So it was kind of like a spy bird in a way, um, but she quickly returned it. Uh, and then later on, when Sabreen gets really uncomfortable with Duke Raven and his presence in Abigail's life and how he keeps calling on her, um, I think if I'm recalling correctly, he had asked her not to be alone with him anymore and like respecting his wishes. Um, she tried to do that, but they were like very forceful about her helping him like pick out an out a new outfit because he liked how she designed an outfit for Sabrian as well. And um, it became like a big point of contention of like which black to pick and which one was best because both of their names mean different versions of the color black. But there were, I don't remember the exact instance, but there was one scene that was really uncomfortable with him and Abigail. And I'm like, dude, you need to step off because this is just not okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, dude, when the glint in his eye shows up, I'm like, bro, I, I'm gonna need you to, like, put on some sunglasses or something, just don't look at me like that.
0: Yeah, it's just like, take ten steps back, or, you know, just leave the room, that's that's cool too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> go straight to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200.
0: <laughs> yes, like, you can exist, but not in Abigail Lily's life, bye.
1: <laughs> you know... It would be crazy if
0: I'm glad I'm glad you brought him up because I completely forgot.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, nah, I was just looking at the notes, but uh, oh man, I think what they're doing with him now is like it's good because we're still like on the edge of our seats. We don't know if he's like, is he gonna be like three dimensional or is he just gonna be like a like a two D villain? But if it goes like the two D villain route. I hope they lean as hard into it as possible and just make him comically evil. I don't know. I guess it would be not funny but interesting if maybe he's the one behind Gideon or, like, other suitors for for Blanche and, like, trying to separate the family that way. Who knows?
0: I don't think he has, like ambitions for the throne from the way that he's been talking i mean of course he could just be putting on a front for everybody that he's interacted with um in in the main grouping but he doesn't seem to be very throne ambitious um, yeah but he does seem I, to be motivated get, towards abigail specifically
1: i get the feeling he might be pushed into a corner at some point and then that's where that comes in at least in terms of like i don't know i could see yeah. leaps in logic from him from like okay if I can't have you, um, I'll just t- take the country and then take you or something.
0: Yeah, looks kind like of like kind a, of an opportunity Caesar.
1: Like. Yeah. He looks like the type who would do that.
0: Yeah, I would agree that he, he very much seems like he could be an opportunist, but it's definitely still early to tell. I think this story probably has quite a bit left to it. I don't see it ending anytime soon. I um, could
1: easily see this being like 300 chapters.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say also... Um, just kind of like looking at the series as a whole, I think that Abigail is a very relatable character for a lot of women. Um, Trauma about like what women should or shouldn't eat and how they should look and appear for a lot of people is very um, prevalent and just at least experiences that I've had both me and my friends and other people that I've known growing up with It's something that a lot of women deal with, and it's something that I think is very important how they touch on it in the story. Um, But all of the trauma that they go through is is very important, as we've said a few times, and how it's handled is very tactful and very to-the-point and supportive. And I think that's a really good point about the series that I hope it keeps up as it continues on.
1: Yeah, I agree. Is there anything else to really touch on? Uh, Dahlia. Did we talk about her?
0: Uh, very briefly. So Dalia is the magician that um
1: oh, well, that's right. Abigail
0: goes to to see about like magical artifacts to learn a little bit more about Veritas, and then after that is when she finds about her her uh, magical affinity herself.
1: Is she the one who's like the Edge Lord, the one who's very Tunibia?
0: Yeah, she was, like, stabbing herself or something. She, she's
1: like, I must use blood to activate, because this is the life force. And, like, she talks like...
0: Yeah, and because like, couldn't you just, like, prick your finger or something, not just cut your arm open? <laughs> yeah.
1: And then Flash is like,
0: did you hurt yourself so, just so you could show me magic? And then
1: she's like, no, my lady, I would never hurt myself. Uh, I would never put a frown upon your lovely face. And she's just acting all nightly and shit. It's so funny.
0: Uh, she's a, an absolute treat of a character and I hope that we get to see a lot more of her going forward Same, same.
1: honestly we we need more tunipios in manga. just give me the cringe fest like just people like RPing in fucking conversation <laughs> like in casual conversation
0: I feel like we need to find a series where all the characters are just trying to out cringe each other I feel like that would be really funny
1: oh god that would be crazy I'll keep an eye out. Uh, I'm going to put the bat signal out to my friend to see if anyone knows.
0: But that really would push it. Um, so we have to rate this. I'm pretty sure I know what we're both going to rate it because we've, we have have a trend and it's okay. Um, yep. But what would you rate this particular series?
1: Mm, it's a savory bulgogi.
0: Oh, so me. we have a qualifier now. It's not just a bulgogi. It's a savory bulgogi. <laughs> <laughs> the top of the tier.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll come up with a new uh, a new adjective every time.
0: All right, that's that's fair. I I will agree with the savory bulgogi, and I look forward to the, our future adjective <laughs> descriptions.
1: Yeah, maybe we should have gone with sweet because it's it's more uh, tender.
0: <laughs> tender is a good adjective to use as well.
1: Yeah, melts in your mouth, just like it melts your heart.
0: Is this all going to go back to the steak? The steak descriptions again. <laughs> true. True.
1: <laughs> oh man, this is
0: the rare steak. God. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, this has been a, a fun discussion about not so wicked stepmom, um, Marion. Do you have anything that you want to plug, or you want to tell us how people can reach you on socials?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I am at microwavy. The e before the v. On Twitter and also on Instagram, I just made th- my Instagram public again for the first time in like six seven years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm I don't know. I'm trying to I guess build a brand now because I'm actually like a professional now and shit. So I'm just getting all my my socials together. But I have a card as well that has like all my links. I recently updated it so that it looks a little nicer. It has more of my current projects. Um, it had been like, what was it since like May that we made the the, the podcast Twitter, but I forgot to, to link it on my portfolio. <laughs> so yeah, six months later, there we go. Um, and uh, I'm also on Blue Sky, if you use that. Uh, it's microwavy, but just spelled normally because <laughs> I was fast enough to get it. <laughs> but... Yeah, I think that's it. Um, I can plug in the podcast too, so you don't have to.
0: Okay, sure, go ahead. Yeah,
1: and uh, you can follow Soju Wanna Read Manhua on our socials uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Soju Manhua Pod. And yeah, like if you, if you like what you're listening to, give us a rating, uh, share the episode, uh, send us an email. Soju Wanna at Gmail dot com. Maybe you have a suggestion for something to read. Uh, or maybe there's something we covered that you want to talk about. That go ahead. Like we love to listen to to what people are saying. Uh, again, like I want to thank everyone for uh, all their support and like like sharing the the news that we were sharing during Anime NYC, and, and just like getting the message out there that like webtoons are here, y'all. Manhua is here, and like the fans are showing up for it. Both in the market and at events, like getting Sleepy Sea over. This was like her first event. Uh, she had never even like met Korean fans before. And this is where she starts. Like It's it's a great time to be a fan of Manwa and
0: comics. So thanks. Yeah, I will definitely echo that sentiment that it's a, a great time to be a Manwa fan or webcomic fan um, and absolutely reach out to us at our email or our Twitter or Instagram. With any of your questions comments suggestions we love to hear them um and then also we have a shiny new discord so if anyone wants to join that hit us up for a link oh, so true, a yeah invite. Yeah, it's brand new we haven't we only have a few people in there so far because uh we're ju- we just built it so get on in while it's still nice and new and fresh and early <laughs> we uh we'll post like industry news and new episodes and everything in there build your um, street right cred now <laughs> yeah, get to know us while we're still small. <laughs> um But if you want to reach out to me specifically, you can find me on uh, most socials at ARG Bombshell or ARG Bombshell. Um, I have a link tree that has like just about any of the links. It's still slash ARG Bombshell. And yeah, I think that's about it. Um, in addition to so if you want to read Monoma you can also find me occasionally doing video content with Fox from Manga Machinations on the MangaMac Mac TV YouTube channel. And then I recently, actually this uh, the month of this recording, I was in a One Podcast Prevails episode, number 102. It was a lot yeah. of fun, so check that the out. The real OPP. Yeah, um, check it out, especially if you're a, a fan of Detective Conan slash Case Closed. And yeah, I think that's about it for me. Um, anything else you want to say, Marion?
1: Oh, um, I forgot. Uh, so... Yes, as I did go to Anime NYC, I was covering it, and I put out stuff on Twitter and IG, but I also uh, have been writing for Comic Speed. Um, one of my first article is already up. It's a recap of the Ice Press panel, and basically I put those notes to work. <laughs> I, uh, I included all the licenses that were announced, um, a bit of uh, facts about the editors that are working on these series, including Juan, uh, Steven and Liz, uh, basically, these are the editors, the people working on getting these new titles out to you in print. And we, we learned a little bit about them, like how they get into the industry, what do they do exactly. And yeah, just get more familiar with the people who are working on the stuff you love. So I actually connected with uh, Steven and he's the editor of Omniscient Reader and also The World After the Fall. So our next series is going to be the world after the fall. I'm trying to see if Steven can come on because, uh, his boss Julian did tell me like, Hey, you should get him. And I'm like, okay, bet I'll ask. And he was interested. So we'll just see, uh, whether our schedules can line up, but, uh, yeah, whether or not, uh, he can show up remains to be seen, but do look forward to that episode. Um, yeah, ORV. I'm still thinking about it. It's still, oh my god, what a good ass story. Um, I did. How read, can we
0: not think about it? It's it's the highlight of every Wednesday.
1: <laughs> honestly, honestly, yeah. But um, World After the Fall, I already read like 30 uh, episodes. Um, I'm not as like gripped by it, but I do appreciate it. Um, I think that it's it's structured differently in a way that. Um, the storytelling is, like, it feels unique. It feels fresh and, like, not... Even though it, the tone is pretty similar to ORV, I feel, in terms of, like, darkness and, like, um hope and, like, the way that these main characters uh, are, like, symbols. Kind of like All Might from My Hero Academia where, like, they just inspire people and that's what is basically going to save the world. I like that kind of execution, so... Look forward to more thoughts uh, on our next episode. And, yeah, uh, I
0: mean, I don't know how we could talk about ORV and not talk about World of, uh, world After the Fall. So okay. I'm excited to get into it next time, our next episode of So Do You Want to Read Mangla? Okay.
1: So so do you want to read Mangla? Huh?
0: We do! We do.
1: <laughs> I need to come up with a better you? outro. <laughs> I'll take two shots to that. (laughs) Oh yeah, actually, like would you take a shot to this series? (laughs) I guess, or like four like yeah, raise one up.
0: Pour us a shot of Soju. (laughs) Cheers indeed. Cheers. (laughs) Bye everyone. Cheers.